0: You're listening to the Metro L.A. Podcast, an official podcast of the L.A. International Church of Christ. Good morning, friends. Good morning, amigos. Buenos dias. It's uh, great to be together this morning in our leadership class. And I want to thank you for coming. Thank you for your heart to be trained, to grow, to be the best that you leader you can be, which is the same as being a servant, right? And um, this, uh, as you haven't already figured out, that's pretty much my framework and approach to leadership is servant leadership. Um, today, I'm excited. Uh, uh, I'm going to be teaching a, a classic class. Now, if you if you have the list of classes, the title today was, was Helping Make Disciples. And I'm going to be doing a whole series on that in September and October. So I'm actually not going to focus too much on that um, today a little bit. Um, really this, this lesson, four pillars is the lesson. Uh, it's probably, you know, everybody I've ever trained in the ministry, you could walk up at two in the morning and ask them, what are the four pillars? And they could tell you, because this was one of the most basic teachings, you know, Paul said, and and trust to reliable men to think, you know, the, the sayings, um, that he had taught them. Uh, these are the, most of the guys will say, these are Robert's sayings. There are four pillars. This is one of my classic lessons that everybody learns about. Um, and so what, what what exactly is a pillar? A pillar is a core belief or conviction that is fundamental and essential to upholding a system or philosophy. Okay, um, that's, that's actually, uh, it sounds an official, it's actually my definition of a pillar because Really, I want you to understand what I mean by pillar. Um, but obviously, in the common lingo, um, the pillar is something that holds up a lot of other things, right? Something that 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 is an essential part of a building to hold it up and keep it going. So the four pillars of ministry are what are the essential truths or essential habits, essential beliefs that really build the church and, but also help us to be effective in the world. Help us to go and make disciples. And, and you say, well, aren't there a lot of things? There are a lot of things. But there's some things that are just core to many things. Um, the pillars are core. So what are they? I'm just gonna tell you up front and then we're gonna go into them and 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 look at them. And and I want you, like with all these things, I want you to look for what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses. Every and understand this, every strength. It's important because that's what you build on your strengths, every weakness, because that's what you work on a little bit, but mostly that's what you surround yourself with people that can help you with your weaknesses. And if you don't know what your weaknesses are, then you really need to ask people. And and the truth is we should ask periodically anyways, because we change and we evolve and some weaknesses we turn into strengths. Sometimes we we don't pay attention and sometimes even our strengths become our weaknesses so it's always important to be getting feedback, get feedback, get feedback. Um, Shao and I have the habit of of at least, I would say on average now, about once a month, we have a, a little truth talk where we just kind of give each other feedback on how we're doing. And that has kept our marriage great. You know, I uh, woe to those who don't do that because they build up anger, they build up tension. And then that can happen in any relationship, right? So these are the four big ones right here. Faith, love, labor, and I wrote rightness now, I'll have to confess, I wrote rightness because I didn't have space to write righteousness, but um, but I actually liked it. I wrote it down, I thought you know that's a good way to say it because righteousness is one of those religious words that people don't even know what it really means, it just sounds good, you know, yeah, and righteousness, truth and righteousness, um. And we use that word without really thinking through what it means. Rightness is kind of makes you think, oh, when things are right, right? That's basically what righteousness is. But um, uh, these four are, are the measurements. I would liken them to how's your blood pressure? How's your temperature? How's your weight? And uh, what's the other one they always take? Your your blood pressure, your temperature, your weight, and um, I don't know. I'll think of another one. But, but these are the things that they're, 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 they're the, the indicators, right? They're your vital statistics of a church, of a Christian life, of a ministry, a Bible talk. Um, I always look at these. When things aren't going well, these are the things I look at. How's the faith? of the group? How's the love of the group? How's the labor of the group? How's the rightness of the group? Guarantee you when things aren't going right, these are off. Fix these, things will go right again. Uh, People ask, what's the secret to your uh, turning around ministries? It's kind of what Michelle and I have been doing for the last X number of years. Turning around ministries, turning around an NGO. uh, What do we do? Well, we apply faith. We look at the faith of the group, where are they at, we look at the love of the group, where are they at, we look at the work of the group, where are they at, and we look at the rightness of the group, where's that at? And that tells us how they're doing and how things are going. So the first one is <clears throat> the pillar, the first pillar is, is simply faith, right? Where's the faith of the group, Um Jesus spent a ton of time talking about faith. He spent so much time. Matthew chapter 8. Really, you could just read through the whole chapter. But we start out with the centurion, the Roman centurion, who comes and wants Jesus to come help his, his servant. And Jesus is willing to go. And he tells him, you don't even need to come to my house. And, and it says in verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Um, wow, got cut off on me there. Um that's a that's an amazing comment to make about a Roman centurion, a Roman, a Roman soldier, and yet Jesus says, I haven't found anybody with such great faith. Jesus spent much of his time trying to teach the apostles to be men of faith, trying to teach them what what it meant to have faith to live by faith, to walk by faith, and the power of faith, the importance of faith. Um, Here he is with a Roman centurion, and he's blown away by the amount of faith. So faith, it shows us faith has nothing to do with how much you know. Faith has nothing to do with how much you've been trained. Faith has nothing to do with whether you grew up in the church or not. I mean, this Roman guard knew nothing about Judaism, most likely. He didn't grow up listening to stories about David or Moses or... Or Adam and Eve or Gideon or he didn't know any of those stories. What he knew is what he knew by sight, that Jesus was awesome, and if Jesus is who he says he is, and he seems to be proving it, then he can do anything. And that simple understanding, that's faith. That's not just faith. That's great faith. And that's the kind of faith that we need to have, that we know who Jesus is, we know what he's capable of, so we put our faith in him. Um in Matthew 8, verse later on, verse 26, he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the wave, and it was completely calm. You remember the scene, they're on the boat, the wind and waves, Jesus comes out to them, they're scared, they don't know what's going on, all this wind and waves, they're afraid they're going to drown, and, and, and they wake up Jesus, they're all upset, and he's, what, what are you guys so scared of? I mean, faith, the opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear can cause us to shut down, can cause us to white knuckle life, to hang on to life and not want to, you know, and and not want to step out, not wanting to try new things. And, And that's the opposite of faith. Faith is boldly going where no man has gone before. Faith is stepping out. Faith, you know, fruit is always at the end of the limb, right? So faith is going out on a limb, to get the fruit you don't get fruit by hugging the trunk you have to go out but but so faith is essential for the church to grow to step out and try new things in the next chapter chapter 9 some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat when Jesus saw their faith he said to the man take heart son your sins are forgiven when Jesus saw their faith i love that statement he saw it he saw it. Faith is visible. It's visible by our actions. We do things. It reminds me of an old story, a, a preacher in a, in a farm community, and they had been in drought, and they were beginning to lose their crops. So they, he said, we all need to meet in the fields and and, and put our faith to the test. We're going to pray for rain. So they all go to meet in the fields, and he gets up on the back of the truck and he looks at the crowd, and he says, where's your faith? only this little girl had faith. This is the only person that had faith and he lifts her up. Why does he say, because she's the only one who brought an umbrella, right? When you have faith, you do things different according to your faith. You know, if you're, if you think that you're going to meet somebody open, you're ready to write their name. You're ready. You got a piece of paper. You got a your phone ready. You've got something. If you think that, um, you know, that, that, the church is going to grow, then you're, you're helping us look for a bigger building. Then you're, if you think you're going to bear fruit, then you're learning the scriptures. So so you can teach people and share people. But at the opposite of that, if you have no faith, you don't even know the address of the building. You don't know where we meet. You're not in touch. You're not connected. There's no battle you're in. You don't feel the need to call the brothers every day because what for, you know, but if you're in the battle, advancing the kingdom of God, fighting Satan, Trying to spread goodness, then you feel that need, and and you're stepping out there on faith. Later on in Matthew in nine verse twenty two, Jesus turns saw her. This is when the woman was following him and touches him, and she believed that just by touching Jesus, that she could be healed. And he says to her, "Take heart, daughter." He said, "Your faith has healed you," and the woman was healed from that moment. I mean, I think that, that we have a lot of problems that we just don't apply Jesus to. And so we get stuck in our problems. And Jesus can heal us. What? Yes, he can heal us. He can heal our hearts. He can heal our minds. Oh, so Robert, are you saying we don't need to take medicine? No, you take your medicine and you go see your doctor, please. Um, but there are a lot of issues in life that just need more faith that we've got to believe, we've got a lot of problems and challenges in our life that if we would just apply our faith to, we could fix it. We could solve it. God could help us with it. It wouldn't slow us down. It wouldn't tear us up the way they do. This woman was healed, boom, at that moment because of her faith. Do you believe that or don't you? That's a leader. A leader is one that chooses to be. I believe it, therefore I'm going to act on it. In Matthew 9 verse 29, then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Okay, so these guys come, they're blind guys, they want help, they they believe, do you believe? Yes, I believe. And then he touches them, according to your faith, let it be done to you. He heals them, according to what? According to our faith. Some of us don't see very very many miracles because frankly, we just don't have much faith. We're not stepping out on faith. We're not trying new things. We're not trying to do anything bold or, or risky because we're living by what's safe, what's been done, what is sure, what works every time. We're not stepping out. A leader has got to be the one that that marches into the promised land. You know, the whole idea of the spies and going to the promised land and, and they come back all negative. Or, they weren't ever supposed to do that. They were supposed to just march in and take the land. They were sending spies, why? Because of doubt, because of fear. And and God will work with us. I mean he even helped them organize the spies, but he told them later on, you should have never done that. You should have never done that. You should have just marched in and took the land. Didn't he tell didn't he say, I'm giving this land to you? I think sometimes we're afraid to claim the promises of God because we're afraid of failure. Well, what if it doesn't work? If it doesn't work, then maybe God had something else in plan, in plan or in mind. And, well, what if I pray for something and it doesn't happen? Then you say, amen, God. God's will be done. But if, but Jesus did say, I mean, nobody gets in trouble for asking. But Jesus did say, you do not have because you do not ask. You don't ask, you don't get. My house, we had a rule. You don't ask, you don't grab, you don't get. That was my dad's rule. So if you want something, go get it. Go after it. And that's what faith does. Faith makes people Bold. Faith makes people step out. Faith makes people challenge things and, and reach out to others. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, I mean, and, and you gotta understand how powerful God is. He literally doesn't even need you to be involved, but he wants you to be involved. I remember I was, uh, I went to Mexico City. I came back after months of being in Mexico City and I was at, um, I was, uh, I went to a wedding in San Diego. And at the wedding, some guy walked up to me, he goes, this is your Bible. And it was one of the little pocket NIVs, the ones that everybody used to have. We love those. They don't make them anymore. They fit perfectly right in your back jean pocket. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's my Bible. Where'd you get it? And he said, well, I found it in the student union at San Diego State. It was it was in a chair. And he said, and I started reading it. And some guy saw me reading it. me to Bible talk, I studied the Bible. I became a Christian. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. God helped this guy become a Christian. He didn't even need me. He just used my Bible without me being there. You know, and it just, it convicted me. I remember there was a, there was a brother when we lived in Jamaica. There was a guy who was at church. And and one of the brothers reached out to him at church, said, Do you want to study the Bible? He said, yeah, we studied the Bible. It turns out that, I want to see if I can get the story. I got to make sure I get the story right. So he was, um, what was he? He was, okay, so here's what happened. So a brother invited somebody to church and the person gave him the wrong address. So he didn't know till Sunday morning, he went to go pick up the person. He went to go pick them up and it was the wrong address. And so, so, uh, uh, there was a guy at the door and he said, listen, do you want to study the Bible? Would you like to come to church? And the guy was like, sure, why not? So he went to church. He became a Christian. He became a, he became a Christian. So um, so then he goes to church or he goes to church. He becomes Christian. He's out inviting people and he goes to someone's house that he had invited to. Again, wrong house. And he invites somebody who takes him to church, To that he, he gets to go to church, and that person becomes a Christian. And I thought, isn't that amazing? We're two lines down in discipleship. I studied with that person, and neither one of these were invited to church by anybody in our church, not until that somebody went to their house. And so it's amazing how God can just work with with or without us, but you have to believe in great things happening. You have to have faith. God loves doing great things. God loves working in impossible situations. Sometimes we think, oh, no, that's too big. That's that's not going to happen. You got to ask for big things. I mean, I I challenge the whole region. I hope you're still praying. I'm still praying for my five impossible prayers. And I hope you're praying for those. Because when do impossible things happen? When somebody is praying for them to happen. When somebody is walking by faith. Otherwise, they don't happen. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them. Jesus said, look, nothing will be impossible for you. You have to have faith. It's why Jesus, you know, when they said, Jesus, there's only a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes. He said, you feed them. They were like, how are we going to do this? We don't have the money for this. We don't have the the materials. We don't. This is impossible. Go feed them. And they started heading out. And then he made them go out and pick up, the empty baskets. How many were there? 12 empty basketfuls. Why? So that each apostle had to carry a basket full of leftovers from just a little bit. God, Jesus, always oh, trying to build up their faith. A leader, that's, that's so key is your faith. And here's the tricky part is a group of people that are high on faith and a group of people that are low on faith, they look exactly the same. You can't tell by what you see. You can't even tell by their excitement. Everybody gets excited at church. People who amen and hoo and they sing and they cry and they get all into it. That doesn't mean they have faith. Faith is what they do when they get out there in the street. When you go to work, when you go to school, who you reach out to, what you do, what are you asking God for, your family? Um, stepping out and having scary talks. And this is faith. It makes miracles happen. Incredible things happen when we have faith. We are praying in Puerto Rico for um, somebody, Puerto Rican to become a Christian because I, mean, I thought I need to train somebody to lead the church here because I'm not Puerto Rican. I mean, I love Puerto Rico and I was there having a blast, but I was asking God to Give us a couple that we could, Michelle and I could train in the ministry. And we're going to have a, pr- a prayer time. I'm coming home one night and I pull up to the house and I look in my mirror and I see three shadows pass by and I think, oh, and I thought, ah, the brothers are trying to scare me because it was about 15 minutes before the prayer time. I thought they're awfully early, but oh, well, and I start to get out of the car and these three guys run up and they're not brothers. <laughs> they're three very young guys with guns in their hands. And all three of them, their faces were half covered with their t-shirts and they're sticking their guns in my face, telling me stuff. And they have really heavy Puerto Rican accents from the caserillos. And I didn't even, I could barely understand anything they were saying, but I could tell they're pointing out my keys and they're pointing out my car. I just bought it like the week before. And And I knew what they wanted. I just gave them my keys, and they took off, and they stole my car, and they drove off. And the bummers, I don't think any of them knew how to do a stick shift because they were like, and I was just like, God, please protect my transmission um, when I get my car back. But right after they left, this guy pulls up in like a 1972 Mach 1 Mustang, and he's like, come on, let's go get him. You know, and I was like... Hey, they have guns. We don't. Let's call the police instead. You know? So I but I invited him in and his wife. They had just moved there. Their parents actually lived there and they moved in with their parents to save money. And they had just gotten there. And we invited them in. And we're super excited to meet them. They're two houses down and across the street. And we're all excited. And they can't figure out why are these people are excited. They just got robbed. But I was so excited. Long story short, month later they get baptized. Long story short, we leave they lead the church. God. I mean, in a tough situation, ugly situation, and God turns it around. The church had been stuck at 35 members for three years. Boom, we end the year over a hundred. Boom, we end the next year over a couple hundred. God can do anything. God is amazing, but we have to trust him. And so I want us to think about our life and think about this this is the this is core leadership. This leadership is it's not always the titles, but it's it's being the one who has faith. It's being uh, uh, Jonathan in the armor bearer when Jonathan says, "Hey, let's go up and see what God will do." Being the one who steps out, who reconciles, the first to apologize. It's these are all issues of faith. Reaching out to somebody who's scary, reaching out to somebody who's angry, reaching you know just doing things that scare us. Number two pillar of love. Now I spent most of my time on faith. So not each of these points are the same size, but because it is so huge. Uh, And I will say this, that with faith, whether it's the first thing to go down or the last thing to go down, whenever a ministry or a person is not doing well for a long time, I guarantee you their faith is rock bottom. And that's one of the first things that has to do is to rebuild their faith. You know, by reading the word that we get faith from the Bible by, by even, even thanking God, praising God, all those things build our faith back up. Being around faithful people, you know, listening to faithful stories that we have to build our faith back up again. Second one, pillars, love. The second pillar, of course, you knew love was going to be one of them, right? Um, when asked about what was the most important law of the 313 laws, the most important one answered Jesus is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is this love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these, you know, the, the, when the expert asked, what is the most important thing? This is what Jesus lays out. Loving God, all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving each other. And there are many more scriptures where Jesus says, this is the sum of the law. This is the fulfillment of the law. This is what it all boils down to, is this. And he told it very clearly. How important is this? He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, th- this is going to be the telltale sign the, of, of a real Christian. Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say how many scriptures they know or how long they've been going to church or how many times they go to church each week or how religious they are or, or any of those things. Those are all good in themselves. But the real indicator, the indicator that somebody's really getting it. You got that that somebody's studying, praying, reading, growing is how they love. That's the real indicator of how's your Christianity doing? How's your faith? how's your religion going? How loving are you? How much do you how much are you in love with God and how much are you able to love the brothers and sisters? and loving God in one sense, it's the easiest because God is perfect. He never lets you down. He never messes up. If you understand him. Now, there's some people who don't understand God and they feel let down and like he doesn't do what they want. But that's usually because they're trying to make God do their will instead of doing God's will. But those of us who understand that it's all about God, this is the number one law in our faith. Loving him. And God knows whether we love him or not. God's not stupid. You know, right? Somebody says, you know, somebody comes up, ooh, I love you, baby. You're the number one in my life. You know, if they're just saying it or if they mean it, because everything we do tells somebody we love them or don't love them. Everything we do says something right about what's important to us, what matters to us. And sometimes we even, we get off on that off kilter on that. And we, we, we love somebody, but we start treating them like we don't love them. And that needs to be challenged and corrected, right? that's, that's unfortunately what can happen in any relationship. We can go off and we're not really practicing the love that we feel. I remember lesson, major lesson for a young married man. And, you know, at church ministers always have a line of people trying to get to them, talk to them. And, and I remember uh, one time Michelle came up to say something to me. we had just gotten married and I had a line of brothers waiting for me. And I said, hold on, honey, and I was trying to finish the conversation I had. And she told me afterwards, she said, you know, I'm not just one of the brothers. And ooh, that's tongue. She was dead on right. I was treating her like one of the she's my number one relationship on the planet. And I and I remember I thought, you know what? I'm never gonna do that to my wife again, nor to any of my kids. I don't care who I'm talking to. I can be talking to the Pope. And if she walks up, I'm gonna tell him, excuse me, I need to talk to my wife. Or my kids that they always know they're the number one. So how we treat people is incredibly important. It shows the level of our faith, of our Christianity. How loving are we? Um, And John, the apostle John wrote, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I mean, loving is part of knowing God. It's part of being born of God. I mean, God is love. So if we, you cannot be a Christian if you're not loving, you're not a Christian, you're deceived, you're deceived. Ask the people around you, am I loving? Because that's the test right there that he's talking about. Whoever does not love God does not, does, whoever does not love, does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one, ha- who, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, his love is made perfect. It reaches the full impact around us. A leader has to be known for their great faith. But they also have to be known for their great love. That that's what binds all this together. That's what brings everything together. In a world full of mess-ups and people messing up, love covers a multitude of sins. Love is the greatest power. Love never fails. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. I'm just continuing the same verse, uh, same scriptures in 1 John 4. He has given us his Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Spirit has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know and we rely on that love. you got to know it, and you've got to rely on it. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Okay? He says, He says, We, we, this, this is it. And it's, it's very much repeating what was just said, but from another perspective. But again, you know God, you know love. You practice love, you walk with God. You don't practice love, you don't walk with God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And you say, wait a second. Doesn't the Bible say beginning, wisdom is the, fear is the beginning of wisdom? It is. It's a great beginning. It's a wonderful beginning. And most, most relationships with God honestly began with fear. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be punished for my sins. But as we connect with God, hopefully we fall in love with God, right? And that is the greatest motivation for any leader. The greatest motivation is our love for God. Paul said, for Christ's love compels me, right? Because we believe that one died for all. That's what moves Paul. That's what motivates him. That's what moved the apostles from a bunch of scared fishermen to powerful proclaimers of Jesus Christ and him resurrected was how much Jesus loved them and the power that was in his his ministry. He says, we love because he first loved us. We're not loving God because we're such wonderful people. We're loving God because the way we're all wired is when somebody loves us, it flicks a bunch of switches on for us to live love them back, right? Generally, who do you love most? Is it not the people who love you a lot? I mean, who do you want to hang out with? Is it not the people who love you a lot? I mean, that's the way we're wired. We're drawn to people who love us. So we have to understand how much nobody loves us more than God. God loves us the most and a leader has to be able to download that and be motivated by that, not by the people's love. Because the people's love is fickle. It will come and go. It will go up and it will go down. You'll be top dog today and dog meat tomorrow. But God's love is constant. It's solid. It never changes. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. People who have resentments and criticalness and attitudes towards anybody, leader, member, doesn't matter. They don't really love God. They don't. You cannot love God but can't stand that brother or can't stand that sister. That just doesn't work that way. For God, you either get right, you love everybody, or you don't love anybody. So just... Get it right. he says. And he says, um, anybody, if you, if you can't love the people you see, how are you going to love the one you can't see, right? Um, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He says, look, it's a package deal. You can't separate it. People separate it all the time. Oh, I love God. It's people I can't stand. Well, then you got a problem with God. Because for God, it's all tied together. You, you just love or you don't love. And truthfully, a lot of us, a lot of us are pretty lousy at loving, being loving. And, we just, and that's okay as long as you don't stay there, as long as we keep growing. But so a leader has to tap into that. You've got to keep your love tank full because leadership requires lots of love, lots of love, lots of faith and lots of love. If I speak in the tongue, this is another scripture now, 1 Corinthians thirteen one, you know very well. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then at the end of verse 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's nothing more powerful than love. It's more powerful than faith. It's more powerful than hope. It's more powerful than any of those things. And we have to understand everything is on this. And we don't think that way a lot of times. Why did people love being with Jesus? Why were tax collectors... And prostitutes drawn to a man of God because a real man of God exudes love. He loves everybody. And they felt that, so they wanted to be near. him. Religious people tend to be critical and self-righteous and judgmental. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus was. Jesus was loving and merciful and kind. All of that exudes from the fact that God is love. So as a leader, that's what we're ambassadors of. We walk into a crowd. It's not about getting everything right. It's not about everybody being righteous. It's not about everything being done right. Those are important. I'm not saying they're not important. They're important. Things need to be done right. People need to try to live a righteous life. But what's most important is love. It's love. That we really love God and love each other. So that's second. The third pillar is labor. 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 Work. I was going to call it work, but I like the word labor. Labor of love. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. We need to be aware of the hard work that goes into everything, whether it's a sound crew or a sermon or a Bible talk leader or the children's ministry leaders or the CR leaders. Um, all these people work hard and acknowledge that, thank them, show your gratitude. But that's what the kingdom is built up from is people working hard. We don't, we don't have, we're not a bunch of wealthy people that we pay a few people to do everything. I mean, I do think that the church needs to have paid staff so that somebody can be devoted full time to some of these things like ministry of the word, ministry of healing, the eldership. Um, the the I'm sorry, not the eldership. The the some of the technical th- things that need to be done in the church. Some of them need more than just volunteers, but the majority of what needs to be done in the church is just a labor of love. People rolling up their sleeves, volunteering. Saying, I'll lead the CR, I'll lead the children's ministry, I'll do the ushers, I'll do the sound, I'll do the videotape, I'll do whatever. And that's what makes the kingdom great. So it's incredibly important that we'll work hard for the Lord. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak remembering the work of the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. I do think that, you know, sometimes we get tired and I I get that. We get tired and it's like, oh man, another person's struggling. I don't want to talk to them or I don't want to reach out to that brother or that sister. But that's where we have to go back and fill up our tank of love and just be willing to work hard. That's what a leader does. Honestly, a leader is the one who just works harder, stays longer, serves longer, spends more time helping others, spends time that could be devoted to themselves, but they devoted it to others. It says in First Corinthians 15, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You know, Paul said, look, I work harder than anybody. I mean, he's one of those guys that just work, 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 work for the Lord. Why? And notice why he says why. He says because the the effect of grace. What does that mean? Paul killed Christians. He murdered disciples. I mean, can you imagine him going to the church in Jerusalem and he probably saw the families of the people he had killed? He had a lot of guilt to deal with. And he, as well as anybody, understood how merciful and kind God is. And that is a big motivation for us is, as leaders, if is when we understand how much we have been forgiven of and how much god has loved us then we're willing to to work harder and do more for others because we understand to him who's given much much is required right and and that 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 is that is a powerful motivation it is for me i've been get forgiven of so much and and god has been so gracious with me i want to be gracious with others i want to forgive other people so so that's an important motivation inspiration for all leaders in in, in um second corinthians sorry it says 12 but second corinthians 63210 says for it seems to me that god has put an, us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe to angels as well as to human beings we are fools for christ but you are so wise in christ we are weak but you are strong you are honored and we are dishonored. You know, sometimes leadership kind of sucks, you know. Sometimes leadership stinks. People don't appreciate it. People get down on you. People criticize you. As one person said, anybody who steps into leadership paints a big bullseye on their back, right? People will attack and, and you know, leaders go through a lot. Paul went through some incredibly intense challenges and difficulties. That's part of leadership. Part of leadership is being willing to suffer more. You work hard and you suffer. But again, it's not for people. It's for God. And if it's for God, then suffering is redemptive. means something good comes out of it. When it's not for God and it's for ourselves, it's not redemptive. Or if it's for people even. Because sometimes people will disappoint us. There have been a lot of people who've left the church disillusioned. Because they felt like they served, and they gave, and they sacrificed, and people weren't grateful. Well, that sounds like a tragic scenario, and it is in one sense. But it's also tragic in the sense that it just shows they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it for people instead of for God. And, so, and, and continuing in the same, uh, in verse 11, says, to this very hour... We go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard and with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, this is Paul talking about leadership and what it's like serving the Lord. And And you might think, man, dude, this make me run away. If you don't want to suffer, then leadership's not for you because leadership is being on the anvil. It's letting God pound on you and make you into a great instrument. You know, and if you really, I mean, I I tell people leadership, it's, it's a tough thing. It's a hard thing. And the higher you go up in leadership, any leadership, the tougher it becomes, the more sacrifice it requires. But some of us, We don't really have a choice because we were given the gift of leadership. Everybody leads at some level, everybody. Some of us have the gift of leadership and guess what? To him who's been given much, much is hope for, no, required. It's, it's not just expected, it's required. And so I know that, you know, I, the truth is I know it's good for me to be in leadership. I need to be a leader because otherwise I'm the guy who sits in the back of the room and critiques. But when you're out there doing it boy you know you're you're grateful for grace you're grateful for mercy Paul suffered a lot His he was his part of leadership is just being willing right he was falsely accused his motives were questioned he was persecuted this happens to us as leaders we're falsely accused we're questioned our motives are questioned at times oh you do this just to do this and and leaders try to manipulate us by doing this this and and leaders are all da 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 and as a leader, you feel it. You feel, man, you know, no, no matter how hard you try, and somebody's gonna read it wrong, somebody's gonna think the wrong thing. And that's you know what? You gotta have to be okay with that. Again, because you're not doing it for people, you're doing it for the Lord. Uh leadership, being up being up later, working harder, staying longer, being blamed for everything sometimes. I love the in the movie Ants. There's a scene where the they're all marching in a line and somebody goes off the line and everybody panics and everything and then the the queen goes to this evil grasshopper dude and says it's my fault, I'm the leader and he says, "Yes, that's right, you're the leader. everything is your fault you know and you, you definitely feel that way sometimes uh, as a leader but you know what that's okay that's part of being on the anvil um we get blamed for things you know sometimes we get blamed for things because we mess up. And we need to take it. We need to hear it. We need to change. Amen. And we got to be okay with that. Sometimes we get blamed for other people's mistakes. And you still got to apologize. You still got to say, I'm sorry that happened. I wish that wouldn't have happened. Even though you know it's not your fault. Even though maybe you warned everybody not to do that. And they did it anyways. And now you're the one apologizing for it. That's okay. God will not be mocked. The Bible says God will not be mocked. He sees what's happening. Romans 10.6. Or is it 6.10? Uh, being blamed for anything, worrying about everybody. Um, you know, leaders just, we worry about everybody. You know, it's it's just part of leadership. Um, I know about says don't worry, but we do worry, you know, and and it's, it's, it's just we're concerned about everybody. There's lots of dangers. And, you know, it's funny, I was thinking, gosh, you know, it, it, I haven't been around that long. I've only been around 38 years and I've been a leader about 34 of those. And, you know, been persecuted. I've been slandered. I got drugged into the archdiocese office in Mexico city and he just yelled at me for an hour. And I just sat there and, um, I've been robbed. I've been threatened. I've been attacked. I've been, I've been sick. My what Michelle almost died twice with dengue fever. Um, I've gotten hate mail from members of the church. Um, we've been betrayed. I'd have close friends who turned and said slanderous things that they knew weren't true. and. And I've been painted, misunderstood at times and painted in a bad light and people question my motives. And And I remember one time somebody said, you only moved to this country because you're trying to rob people. I was like, why would I move to a poor country to rob people? I would move to a rich country if I was, that was my goal. And I certainly wouldn't have left my beautiful home in California, but people will misread it and falsely accuse and all that stuff. And that's why our confidence has to be in God. We do this for the Lord. That's the work of it sometimes. So I thought you meant work like working hard, like shoveling or something like that. Sometimes it may be that. But the hardest work of this is the emotional labor, I would say. Uh, Leadership is not about glory and fame and honor. It seems like that because generally what we see is people all praising the speaker or, or praising the leader. Oh, you did great. You did wonderful. And, and I, let me say this, you know, I mean, I think we got to be careful that we don't idolize leaders and that's a mistake. And it's a mistake we've made in the past where we idolize leaders and, and don't let yourself be idolized. You remember when people tried to bow down and worship Paul and he was like, stop it. You know, um, people will try to do that sometimes. And, and you got to be careful because there's a part of you, if you're honest, that loves it, loves being idolized. And that's not good. And you've got to hate that. You got to despise it. And you got to always give glory to God. Now, even with all that said, leaders need to be encouraged. We need to know we're doing a good job. I don't look for compliments. I don't look for people to hold me up and praise me. But I notice if they don't, did I do something wrong? Did I not meet the need? And I'm very encouraged when people do encourage me, and people do. I, I hope they do not idolize me, do not praise me, praise God, but you can encourage me or encourage your leader. And Leaders need to be encouraged. Encourage your Bible talk leader. Encourage the person serving you or who's doing CR right now. I think it's Montel and, and, and uh, Lexa. Uh, who's doing the children's ministry? I think it's the flower's. You know, who's, who's doing the different things that need to happen in the church all the time, your Bible talk. We, we need to encourage one another. There's no easy way. There's no shortcuts. There's no, you know, the old saying, no pain, no gain or no pain, no champagne. There's, it's, it's sit, laying ourselves on the altar of God or the anvil <laughs> the anvil and the altar are the same thing with God and letting God pound on you and shape you into the leader. Moses didn't become a leader easily. David didn't become a leader easily. Nobody does. Not even Jesus. Not even Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 that he had to suffer many things. And it was with loud cries and tears that he became the perfect Savior for us. Um, so we just have to embrace hard work. Amen. We're tough. Have grit. Um leaders you know organizing cleaning putting things away being excellent taking care of each other just going that extra mile to do whatever skills we have and you say well robert that's kind of discouraging eh, it is but it isn't you know do not be deceived god cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows god watches what we do and he knows even when nobody else does if 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 you're in a situation where you're serving a lot and nobody's really acknowledging it, or nobody's encouraging you or lifting you up, don't worry about it. God is watching. And in fact, if anything, count yourself blessed, because your reward will be fully in heaven and fully by God. When people get praised and thanked, their, wor- their reward is gone. And that's okay, because sometimes people need to be thanked just to have you know motivation to keep going. But, but um, that's leadership. Leadership is just willingness to work harder than most. And the last one of the pillars is rightness or righteousness, right? And uh, I'm not going to say a lot, but what I am saying is very important here. In Joshua chapter 7, there's a classic scene where all of a sudden everything's going after victory, 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 victory. And then, bam, everything's going bad. In Achan's sin, uh, it's the chapter of chapter 7, says, Early the next morning, Joshua led Israel from the forward, come forward by tribes, and Joshua, Judah was chosen. They're looking for who sinned. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zarahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zarahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. The Lord picked him out, (laughs) called him out. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. One man's sin affected the whole nation, affected everybody. And I don't necessarily believe that that happens all the time i think this was a very important lesson how one person's sin can really affect a lot of people and i see it all the time one brother he's messing up he's giving into his pride he's becoming difficult he's not helping other people he's letting his pride get the best of him what he doesn't realize is his wife's hurting his kids are hurting his friends are hurting Everybody's hurting around them. It affects everybody, and the truth is when it's when it becomes you know secret sin that's ongoing, things that are like impurity or 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 whatever things that should be confessed there's a becomes a spiritual price to this where everything gets shut down. That Bible talk will not bear fruit. that Bible talk will not go well, or maybe that sector or maybe that region. And one man's sin, one woman's sin can affect a lot of people. It's very important that we do things right. That when we sin, we deal with it. We confess it. We get rid of it. We want to stay right. Staying right doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're open and honest. That's what it means. It means you're striving to do the right thing. And when you fail and when you mess up, you quickly recognize it. Some of us, It's as as vague as you're a lousy husband, you're a lousy dad, and you're not acknowledging it. And you're not dealing with it. Some of us, we're hiding things. We're hiding pornography. We're hiding drugs. We're hiding things. And you need to get open, and you need to go to CR, and you need to get get honest about it and deal with it. Because it does affect. It's a weird thing. There's really no such thing as secret sin. It's only, it stays secret for a little while and it becomes known. God makes it known. I remember Michelle used to always tell our kids, if you're doing anything I don't know about, I'm praying that God will catch you and expose you. That always terrified my kids. But I think it was always true. Sooner or later, they got caught, you know, and, and, you know, God loves exposing. And you know that from the Bible. Um, Psalm 15, one, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others. You know, what does that mean? Who who does God want to work with? Who does God want in his sacred tent to be in his kingdom, the holy mountain? He says, the person whose walk is blameless. Now, that doesn't mean that person's perfect, like they don't make mistakes. It just means that person's honest. They're dealing with their sin, they're getting it out there. And, you know, when a ministry, so you look at if there's a Bible talk or a region or a church or a person not doing well, I look at their faith. Are they reading their Bibles? Are they praying? Is God visibly part of their life? I look at their love. How are their relationships? Are they loving people? Are they in good relationships? I look at their work. You know, are they trying to serve the Lord? Are they having quiet times? Are they getting up early? Are they making the effort necessary to have good relationships? And lastly, are they righteous? Are they dealing with things? Not are they perfect in the sense of flawless, but is that group, is that person, is that church? Dealing with sin and striving to do what is right that's what a that's what a blameless walk is. who does what is righteous who speaks the truth from their heart they don't slander, they don't talk about other people, they don't lie, they don't play with the truth, they don't cover up things they don't wrong their neighbor, they don't slur others they they're just honest, they're humble, they're open. That's what blameless is. That's who God wants. What makes our church unique? I'm going to tell you this, because I've studied a lot of churches and a lot of movements, and I have visited probably over 20 different churches. I mean, just in the last few years, studying them, analyzing everything from how they do church services to what's their theology and how do they disciple and, and what do they do to win the world. What makes our church unique? Dealing with sin. I'm telling you right now. Churches out there don't deal with sin. Not really. You mean nobody? Well, there may be a few. But as a general rule, they don't. They don't practice confession. People sin. They don't talk to anybody about it. You're not confessing your sin. You're dying. And it's only a matter of time till you're dead. You've got to deal with it. If you don't throw your trash out, what happens? Your house gets stinky. It becomes disgusting after a while. And that's what can happen to us if we're not confessing our sins, if we're not being open and honest about our lives. There's a sense of righteousness in a healthy church. Knowing God cannot be mocked, cannot be mocked. When you know that, you know what, no games with God, not trying to play games with God. That's our sinful nature. We start playing games with God. All right, God, if you do this, I'll do that. We're not in a position to bargain with God. God holds all the chips. Turn yourself into him. You'll do great. So the health of a church, the health of a Bible talk, the health of an individual, these things need to be lined up. We got to be walking in faith, living in love, working hard for God, and dealing with sin, dealing with it. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Let God uphold you. Let God lift you up. Let God reward you. It's so important our character, especially for a leader, especially for a leader. Most of us who've been around a while, we've seen bad leadership. And we know how it can really affect people. It can really hurt a lot of people. Leaders, they must have character, honesty, integrity, humility, and above all, spirituality. These are these are things that that make somebody that help somebody do right and be right. They don't again, they don't have to be flawless, but they've got to have honesty, they've got to have integrity, they've got to be humble. What does that mean, humble? That you listen to others, that you recognize that other people are to be respected and listened to and understood. Spirituality so what do those things do for a leader? They inspire members to be loyal, to love, to be, feel safe, to feel, to trust you, to put their confidence in your leadership. They really do make a difference. They make a huge difference. What do we all want? We all want a leader who's going to be honest. You know, most of the, the popular figures who've gotten in big trouble, like that, that, that got themselves in big trouble and lost everything. Almost always, they got in trouble not because of what they did wrong, but because they lied about it. That's what really gets people in trouble: is when you not only sin, but you try to cover it up and hide it. Honesty, we all value that so much. When some, when we can know that person's going to be honest with me, they're going to have integrity. If they messed up, they're going to admit it. If, if they stole, they're going to come back, bring it back and say, I took this from you. Or I wasn't honest with you. Or I got prideful with you. They will turn themselves in. That's integrity. Humility to be able to see their faults. Talk about faults. And not run and hide. Oh, don't tell me anything I did wrong because it'll hurt my feelings and I might get discouraged. Have the willingness and the love to face it. And the spirituality and all these four work together. They're all tied. You can't really separate them. Faith, love, labor, righteousness. They all work closely together to make a person whole, to make a ministry healthy, to make a disciple healthy. They work together. One feeds into the other. Um, Oh, my, Peter, my my scripture from Peter went off here. But um, basically the idea is, is, you know the scripture, that we keep adding to our faith so that if we keep these in, in increasing measure, it will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. And that's usually how you know that some a group's not doing well, a church is not doing well. We I mean, the first thing we always see is, well, they're not growing. Because they're being ineffective and unproductive. They're no longer adding to their faith, goodness, and the goodness, knowledge, and the knowledge, self-control. They're no longer doing these things. They've stopped growing. So how do we keep growing? Well, we keep going back and looking and evaluating. How's my faith? How's my love? Am I working hard for the Lord? Am I being right? Am I keeping my heart pure and clean? Am I keeping my soul from being contaminated? So... These are the measurements you can look at any church, any ministry, any Bible talk and evaluate it. How's their, how's their weight? How's their blood pressure? How's their sugar level? What's the other one? Their pulse. You know, you just look at their vital statistics. That'll tell you everything. It'll tell you how they're doing. So No matter how they feel, they say, oh, I'm doing great, but your blood pressure is 300 over 200. No, you're not. <laughs> well, I'm doing great. But they've gained 40 pounds in two weeks. No, you're not. I mean, there's we, we, we have indicators. And these are our indicators. How's your love? How's your faith? How's your labor? How's your righteousness? And they tell us what we can get back to, back to the Lord. So that's enough now. That's a mouthful for leaders. But this is Leadership 101. The You've the just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.